Hi everyone, Nathan here with Lazarus, and we're here to kick off our 2023 Women's World Cup preview show. Just like we did with Destination Doha back in October, November, we're going to be here diving through each one of the eight groups in the build-up to the tournament kickoff in a month's time. And we're going to start things off with Group G and Group H. We're doing it in reverse order because we want to leave the hosts till the very last. And we've decided to go with the name Making Waves because mm. women's football is going to be making waves now with the tournament here on our shores. And it's a play on words with the uh, name of the official FIFA match ball, O'Shawns. Right, so and it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go with that. And I like making waves. It's great because it's great to see women's football making waves on the world scene. So this is the largest sporting tournament in Australia since the Sydney Olympics, Nathan, and the largest sporting, you know, women's event in the world with a World Cup actually having 32 nations, which is just incredible to see. And the fact that we get to host it on our shores is just incredible, and we can't wait to see the football kickoff, and that's why we'll be doing these preview shows, but also the aftermath and the legacy that's left behind with this tournament. So we're all waiting with bated breath, and we'll go through the groups as best as we can. There's a lot to cover. There certainly is, and it'll be a learning experience for us as well as you listening, I'm sure. And we're going to dive straight into our first two groups. We'll do two per episode, Group G, with Sweden, Italy, Argentina, and South Africa, as well as Group H with Germany, Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. We're going to dive straight into Group G with Sweden. And on the other side, we'll be joined by Olaf Lund from Sweden. And joining us on this World Cup women's special preview for Group G is Swedish journalist Olaf Lund from TV4 in Sweden. Olaf, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you for joining us uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you're looking forward to the Women's World Cup coming up in a matter of uh, four weeks. Yes, uh, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see if uh, if uh, Sweden can a little bit bounce back since they didn't get any medal when they played the Euros last summer in uh, England. Yeah, everyone's looking forward to Sweden and whether they can replicate their Olympic heroics. What's been the general feeling about Sweden coming into this tournament? You mentioned not picking up a medal at the Euros, but just generally, is it a sense of positiveness? Uh, no, I would say, uh, of course, they're they're uh, ranked the number three in the world, so there'll be pressure. But I think uh, uh, there's a lot of question marks about the squad that Peter Jaradsson uh, selected. Uh, Caroline Sager, well, she has hardly played since she injured her uh, uh, Achilles tendon uh, in the Euros and uh, she has been rested. She tried a little bit in April, played with national team, played a little bit with her club team. So she's a big question mark. Uh, also Kosvar Aslani, she played in the last game for Milan but has had injuries too. She missed uh, uh, one of the, they had two games in April which were kind of like the, the last games. Now it turns out they're going to play a, a kind of a game against the Philippines, but it'll be behind do- closed doors. Mm. Uh, but uh, so Aslani has been a problem. And uh, I mean, two important players. Uh, and also they didn't play that well in, in the Euros uh, last summer. They had uh, had... Has had some good friendlies this spring, especially when they played. Uh, they drew against uh, Germany, nil-nil, a uh, really good game. But I think there's a question mark, and also this will be the first uh, major tournament without Hedvig Lindahl in goal. Um, 
who's going to be the first goalie for Peter Jarlsson, whether it be Musovic from Chelsea or Jennifer Falk from Hecken, the Swedish club. So many question marks for uh, the team that's ranked third in the world. Mm. Interesting to note that Sweden appears to have been one of the very first nations to declare their 23, their final 23, which kind of sends a statement, I think, uh, to you know, perhaps the rest of the competition saying that, you know, we, that they are confident in their, uh, ca- you know, in their capabilities. What are your thoughts on that? You might look at it uh, in that way, but you know that you can, as long as the tournament hasn't started, you can change players. And I think that's what the, the coach Gerason said when he selected the squad. And then they have, uh, they have these kind of, there's been this issue, especially in Europe, uh, with the clubs not wanting to release the players. So, they're not really having a camp and uh, the Swedish Federation is kind of like uh, they always uh, follow the rules. Uh, so uh, they're not uh, starting any big camps until uh, July 3rd. I know some players practice together, but it's I, I think there are four or five players who practice a couple of days in Stockholm and in Gothenburg. But it's it's no big camp until uh, July 3rd. So you'll have to uh, Take uh, Peter Jansson's squad with a pinch of salt because uh, everyone knows that if Caroline Sega, if she won't be able to play, I don't think they'll bring her to uh, New Zealand and Austria. Mm. Australia. Well, Carolina was the big question mark over the squad, whether she would make it in time with her recovery. One who hasn't made it is Hannah Glass. Talk to us about her and how big of a miss she'll be for Sweden this tournament. A big miss. Uh, She's been uh, fundamental in the whole, uh, when Petter Jadsson has created, uh, when he took over after Pia Sundhage in 2018, starting aiming for the the World Cup in France uh, 2019. She's been really fundamental uh, as a defender and also going forward. And I think that was one part she had. She was one of the players that got COVID uh, during the Euros uh, last summer and that affected the team. So that's a big, big uh, miss for Sweden and miss for Hanna Glass. She's been really important for uh, Jaradsson's team. So that's one weakness uh, where you don't really know if He's going to move out. Maybe uh, Amanda Ilestet, who she's leaving Paris now uh, for probably Arsenal, but she'll play as a, a, a right back, or it'll be. Uh, ah, we we don't really know how they're going to solve that problem. You mentioned that um, recent form for Sweden in the friendlies in the previous autumn and also this spring has been uh, pretty good. I mean, just looking at the recent form outside, like after the Euros, so. Obviously, England uh, defeated Sweden in the Euro semi-final. But having a look at the form since then, it's been pretty good. What do you put that down to, given that uh, there have been you know, play, critical players with injuries throughout the, the period? I think there's a strong relationship between uh, Peter Jarrasson and his assistant coach, Magnus Wikman, and the players that they've felt that they've done results together. I mean, they took the bronze in 2019. Mm. They should have had the gold in uh, Tokyo in 2021, Mm. uh, that penalty. And then they defended their uh, form in in England uh, last year. But everyone has said afterwards that they didn't really reach uh, the level they want to. uh, But they still reached the semifinal and uh, they had a 
pretty good first half hour. And if uh, Fridlina Rolf had scored against England, uh, it might have been a different game. But England was better. Uh, and uh, after that, I, so I think there's a big trust in the process and how do you play and what what how do we want to play? And uh, he's been selecting very much the same squad, pretty much. Uh, quite few uh, newcomers. And uh, I think that gives a, a sense of uh, uh, trust that they we know what we can do. And uh, especially against Germany, they had uh, they did a really good, had a really good game. And Denmark, Norway was a little bit, a uh, little bit, uh, it's not as good uh, as it was. But of course, there's a big, I think there's a big, uh, belief in the squad that they they know that on the good days they can beat any team as they especially as they showed in the in the olympics where they beat the u.s Mm. and they had a really good uh, tournament so i i think there's a huge belief in in the squad so you mentioned that there hasn't been sort of a regeneration of the squad it's been a similar looking team for a while now do you see that in more a positive sense or a negative in the case that it's a bit more of an aging team there isn't enough young blood coming through, or is it the case that these players they've been building towards this World Cup? It's a culmination of a generation. Uh, somewhere in between, I would say uh, that that was the criticism that uh, Petiazzo got that he he didn't want to go for the young, exciting players. Uh, he he's trusting his uh, squad, uh, and uh, in a way, the judgment on that is. Uh, It'll come first uh, when uh, the World Cup is over. If he selected right or the wrong players, uh, uh, but that he got a little bit of a criticism, and I would say it's maybe one of the first time that Pepe Aradson has been criticized that he's been uh, that the squad uh, and I, I mean. The question marks I I brought up in the beginning with Sega and Aslani and all those. Uh, there's uh, a little bit of a hesitation if this old squad can do it still uh, so it'll be leaning more to towards and i think that's a discussion that we have in swedish football both on the men's side and on the women's side that we see that the, the swedish clubs on the men's side has been for a long time been they can compete with the big clubs in europe and that same uh, it's been the same for the women's club but it's been so fast i mean in five years 10 years the swedish league has gone from being one of the best in the mm. world with marta and all those to suddenly being a feeder they're feeder clubs for uh, the big clubs out in europe and in a way that should be good for the national team uh, because most of the players they belong to big clubs they get good uh, good possibilities to practice and to develop and play against really good players so that should be good but we don't know if we can deliver players uh, in the same way as we did before. It's it's a, maybe a bigger step to be a talent in the Swedish league to actually join the national team. How critical is Blackstenius to Sweden's chances? Uh, I I would say that uh, she is very important to score goals, but I would say that the key for Sweden is Fridolina Rolf uh, to get. I mean, we have uh, a player who plays regularly in uh, maybe the best team in the world, and uh, she uh, she scored a decisive goal in the Champions League final. But the challenge there is that she's a forward in the Swedish national team, and she's a wing back, left uh, defender in the Barcelona, and how 
can Peter Gerardsson be able to get the most out of Rolf? He didn't uh, succeed with that uh, last year in the Euros. That was one of the problems. I mean, she's the new star. But of course, Black Stenius is also important. She's uh, the point of his uh, system. And he, she's, she scores quite a few goals. And But I would say that Rolf is, uh, without getting the best out of Rolf, Sweden will, uh, will have a hard time of... Uh, uh, repeating uh, the last uh, championships, getting into medal games. Can they play them together? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, but the, the the thing is, uh, how do you find a role for Fridolina Rolfe, who is doesn't really... I mean, she's a left defender, wing back, even though Barcelona is very... They're an offensive, balanced team. So, But they didn't really find the position. They played around a little bit on the wing uh, last uh, year in the Euros, Euros, and I, I felt they, she didn't get the, her real the high level she has in her club team. And uh, with older players like Sager, we don't know if she'll play, and uh, Kosva Aslani a little bit uh, question mark. Uh, it's very important that uh, Rolf uh, will take a. A big responsibility. She will be the key. Uh, Stina Blackstenius is um, uh, she's the number one and playing uh, as a nine. As a uh, uh, Rolf will not play there, but it's uh, the key to finding a way to uh, get Rolf in the team and uh, how to take advantage of her uh, her uh, uh, her skills. I'd like to change tact a little bit and have a look at the rest of the group and Sweden's place in it. Alongside them are Italy, Argentina, South Africa. On the men's side, we'd be thinking that's a pretty tough group. On the women's side, maybe not quite so much, but still difficult fixtures. Is the expectation nine points here? Uh, the expectation is that Sweden will uh, win the group and also uh, at least the people who have uh, looked at the schedule knows that if they come in number two, it's probable that they, they'll play the US in... In, immediately after the group stage and uh, I don't think anyone wants to play the US already at that stage so but of course if you're if you're ranked number three in the world and you've been in the semi-finals the last three uh, championships and you were uh, missed penalty from uh, winning the gold in the Olympics you have to have uh, the demand to win that group it's it's a group you should win uh italy might be a little bit of a problem but you should be able to win that group and uh, set yourself up for uh, hopefully the netherlands and uh, that'll be tough i mean it'll be tough after that with the netherlands probably spain after that and the us in the semi-final so it'll be really really tough after the group stage uh, but the group they should have you mentioned uh Aslani, her move from Real Madrid to Milan, has that coincided with the question marks around her form? How has she performed this season, do you feel? Uh, as long as she's played, she's uh, done really well. No, I don't think uh, it's it has nothing really to do with that. It's more with uh, she had an injury this right. spring that uh, kind of stopped her from playing. And I she, uh, she talks about uh, she likes to uh, new challenges, new countries and... Uh, I mean, uh, Real Madrid, who kind of uh, put their uh, club on. First, they bought a club and they played under another name and then That's they right. changed to the Real Madrid. And it's been kind of like a really quick operation, mm. maybe not the best run operation. So mm. I think it was uh, a feeling of uh, leaving the club uh, because of that and do, getting a new challenge. So uh, I 
I'm not that worried about her uh, form, uh, considering where she plays. I'm more worried about the injury and will she be really in uh, top shape when it comes to playing games. And the <clears throat> the Swedish camp is based in Wellington for the tournament, I believe. And I had a look as FIFA put out the training center and the accommodation and they're staying in say a dedicated football facility or sport facility anyway mm. where there's little distraction from the public i wouldn't expect them to get swamped by photographers or supporters do you think that has a innate advantage compared to the other teams that don't have that same sort of flexibility yeah that's that's possible i know that they wanted to have a a, a pitch football pitch on in the area they didn't want to travel uh, to go to practice and uh, that was the most important uh, uh, background when they chose that base they had a lot of uh, different uh, options uh, as i understood it and uh, now they're living quite they're outside of Wellington but it's also where they played the first two games and I think they want to limit the traveling Mm. and limit uh, all those things and I think that at least this is one area where Sweden is pretty good uh, at thinking about how do we maximize the opportunities to practice uh, without having to travel and uh, all those things so uh, at least I, I hope they uh, they've chosen the right uh, base. Sometimes when you uh, I've covered the, the Swedish men's team and the women's team for many championships, and uh, sometimes when you live too much out of the city, the players can be bored, and uh, that is kind of a could be a challenge uh, if there's nothing to do uh, because they're going to be there for a long time. They I think they're going. Uh, they're leaving eighth or ninth, ninth or tenth, maybe something like that. So they have mm. a, a lot of days before I they play their first game, and uh, ah, it'll be a long yeah. championship. So, yeah, so they'll be there nearly two weeks before uh, their tournament kickoff, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. because I know you you want to count it that uh, you have to stay one day for every hour of uh, time mm. uh, difference. <laughs> so uh, it'll be a it'll be a long uh, trip. And yes, they, it will since be. They, and they 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 have a camp in Gothenburg uh, starting July third, and they they'll be there until July sixth, and then they uh, then they will um, uh, have a couple of days off before they leave. And then I know that they play they play a game against the Philippines at their base camp on July seventeenth. So Olaf, let's go through the games one by one. Uh, Sweden versus South Africa. Obviously, Sweden are favourites. We, we we know that, but w- are you prepared to call the results now? Like, say, you know, Sweden three nil, two nil. What is it that you think uh, the results will will be as we go through each of the games here? So let's go with Sweden, South Africa. Now, I think it'll be a pretty easy victory. I don't expect that Sweden will score that many goals. Uh, uh, I think that they'll win it, and um, sometimes they are a little bit rusty in the beginning of a of a championship. And then when you play a team that is pretty new uh, on the world scene, but I know that Sweden has played South Africa before, and of course they will have uh, the right uh, respect. But it's a game they should win. So we'll go to Sweden versus Italy, and and you believe that this will be Sweden's biggest challenge in the group. Yeah, this this will definitely be Sweden's biggest challenge. Uh, uh, the the national team of Italy has become a lot better. I, they, they, that's one of the countries where football's grown. Football for women has grown, and uh, uh, so that'll be a challenge. And I think that Italy will uh, see a possibility of uh, kind of doing it 
a little bit difficult for Sweden, but uh, I think it's a game that Sweden should win. I mean, uh, it is, uh, even if Italy has uh, taken big steps, uh, Sweden is a better team. They have more uh, experience and everything. So I think they should win it, uh, definitely. Then we go with Argentina versus Sweden in the final match day on the 2nd of August in Hamilton. It's a game against the opponent that uh, Sweden's never played before. Uh, and, uh, of course, there will be this uh, not knowing of a of a national team. But the good thing for Sweden to play Argentina in the last game is that uh, they'll be able to scout them uh, thoroughly before they play that game. And uh, maybe Argentina, without that experience of championships uh, will have a hard time and sometimes uh, those kind of new teams they uh, drop off in quality and in uh, persistence uh, in the last game so i mean however you uh, look at this this group it should be nine points for sweden and it should be a group victory i i mean the the world ranking is uh, one thing and the, the results is another thing so i i think sweden would have been very disappointed in themselves if they didn't win this group and as we we're saying before it will probably end up being the dutch in the first knockout round barring a big surprise either the us don't win the group or the dutch get pipped by portugal or vietnam what's the relationship between sweden and the dutch on the women's uh, national uh, stage uh, they pl- they played the uh, each other many times, and uh, the last time was one-one in uh, in uh, the Euros last year. Mm. So they have a, a rich history. It, it was a pretty even game. Uh, maybe Sweden was a little bit better, but uh, I would say that they have a, I mean, a feeling that uh, the Dutch team is not as good after they dropped uh, Serena Wiesmann to uh, England and they kind of have had some injuries on important players so but it it is a game that can go either way in a in a way because it, 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 I think it's uh, that even uh, between them but uh, choosing between the Netherlands uh, and uh, the US in uh, the first game after the group stage uh, any sane person would choose uh, the Netherlands. <laughs> the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> that being the case, Olaf, how far do you think Sweden goes into the tournament? Yeah, that's uh, that's the hard uh, part, I think, because uh, if it if it's Spain, even though Spain has this uh, conflict in the national team and mm. not all those players that went uh, against their coach was selected uh, it's still uh, it's also one of those national team that's grown in uh, quality and stature over the years so and uh, i think it'll be a real challenge for sweden to play spain uh, uh, in uh, so i'm i'm a little bit uh, afraid that it'll be kind of a disappointing summer for for sweden in in uh, in that sense, that maybe they don't advance longer than mm. to the quarterfinal. Yeah. And who is your favorite to take it out? Uh, if, it's, if it's not Sweden, which nation leads the, the World the Cup problem with it, The problem with the US and England is that they have many injuries. So they would have been my top favorites. Now I wonder if uh, if Australia, uh, I mean, they beat England uh, earlier this spring away and uh, 
looks like maybe they get that support if they get that uh, rolling. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, it's a Swedish coach, as you well know, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Gustafsson, and if he, he could bring them. They're kind of like the outsider, and for, for me, it's England and the U.S. who are on different sides of the the, the tree. Uh, that's uh, That would have been my uh, final, but now a lot of injuries, especially England. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, Kind of like a question mark, but for me, those are the two teams that will play the final and probably the US will win. And Australia is an outsider going all the way. On Tony Gustafsson, we call him Tony G here, right? Tony G, yeah. Okay, Tony G. That's good. Yeah. Uh, what, have you, what has been the reception in Sweden with regards to, or the reaction in Sweden with regards to him coaching the Matildas? I, it hasn't been that big story mm. we've had this uh i mean pia sundhage she coached the uh, the u.s to two uh olympic golds she coached uh, she's now in brazil uh, we have had marika domanske leif was also working for a team mm. uh, thomas denneby former it's quite common with the uh, swedish coaches and yeah. uh, also some norwegian coaches even pellerud who worked with canada and so on mm. so it's more uh, fascinating to see if if they can succeed. And Tony G worked with uh, in the U.S. Uh, Jill Ellis uh, was the coach, and he worked there. And uh, now I know that he he's brought in uh, actually a colleague of mine who works. Uh, it's a former player and coach who works as an expert. Uh, mm. Uh, Jens Fjellström, uh, he works with our when we brought across the Champions League. So I talked a little bit with him uh, before the Champions League final, and he was, I uh, thought uh, they had uh, something interesting going, and uh, that uh, uh, we talked a lot about Sam Kerr, uh, of mm-hmm. course, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but also that uh, ah, the feeling in the country is very positive, uh, but that's also some kind of pressure that you have to succeed. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. There definitely is. The pressure is starting to mount now as mm-hmm. as we're getting closer. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. But uh, it's interesting to hear the insight that, uh, and like you said before as well, that Sweden has exported a lot of coaches into uh, many other national teams and uh, their systems as well, right? So, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see how. Um, and and you know, Tony Gustafsson was given the job on the basis that he was involved with the successful U.S. Women's National Program. So uh, it'll be curious to see how all this plays out. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see how you you probably followed the the battle between FIFA and some of the TV companies in, yes. uh, in the bigger countries where they finally solved it in in Sweden. We've actually broadcast the the Women's World Cup and all the women's tournaments since uh, 2003, but this time it's a Nordic company that has bought it because it's challenging times for in Europe. I mm. think Sweden one uh, game is seven in the morning and one is nine in the morning one is 9 30 so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of reception and so because it's been a huge interest for the women's uh, national team in sweden the last years and i mean in france it was something exceptional and also last year in the euros it draws a lot of viewers but it'll be interesting to see how it'll be when it it's in the morning well, we want to thank you for your time, Olaf. Uh, we wish Sweden the best. Third in the last thank World Cup, third in the last World Cup, second in the last Olympics. So you never know how you know Sweden puts a run together. You never know how far they get into the tournament. Thank you again for joining us from from Sweden. Thank you. As we pull back the curtain on the back peg, 
right? Yep. There will we'll need to let our faithful listeners know that there will be a little bit of editing happening and a bit of preparation for these shows, unlike the normal backpeg episodes. <laughs> yeah, we can't just do mental notes for these. Correct, correct. <laughs> so as such, it, it was uh, absolutely fantastic to have Olaf Lund join us from Sweden's TV4 and get his expertise. And, and Olaf is a you know accomplished football journalist, you know, covered all the major events, and it was an absolute pleasure and privilege to have Olaf join us on Making Waves, the back peg making waves. Indeed. A great get. And we look to back that up with a few other guests as well. We're trying to get one for every single group. But Laz, talking about Sweden and the rest of this group, mm. do you echo Olaf's thoughts there that it should be nine points? I believe so. I believe Sweden should win this group. Not comfortably, but I, they're definitely favourites. I don't know if they'll get three wins, though. I have a funny feeling they'll end up on seven points. I think that, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a win against South Africa. And look, we'll go through um, South Africa and Italy and Argentina in, in shortly. But yeah, Sweden are raging favourites for this group. They have to be, surely, given that they're you know, third in the last World Cup in 2019. You know, the proud football history that they have in the women's game. But should we go to Bayana Bayana, not Bafana Bafana, as they're called? Yeah, we can the jump South down Africans. to South Africa. Yes. Seeing that. Uh, 54th ranked in the world. And notably, though, winners of the WAFCON, the Women's African Cup of Nations, last year. Yes, they are the African champions. And a semi-final in 2018 and 2012 and 2008. So establishing themselves as a bit of a powerhouse in Africa. But it's a, it's a much bigger pool here going to the Women's World Cup. And can this team make the step up? It's a big jump. It's a huge jump. I think they'll be able to handle themselves quite well. Oh, look, I think they'll acquit themselves as well as they can, but I don't see them coming out of the group, to be fair. And looking at their you know, their recent form, as far back as September last year, you know, Brazil beating uh, South Africa 6-0, you know, and they actually played uh, Brazil again and lost 3-0 in South Africa. you know. So Australia in October in London, 4-1. So you know, uh, their last game was against Serbia where they lost 3-2 at home. So, oh, sorry, away in, in Serbia. So... Yeah, mixed bag, you know, to say the to say the least, because the, the other African nations that they've played against, they've beaten. Yeah, it's definitely looking a case of a big fish in a small pond for South Africa at the moment. You mentioned the form that they have against countries within their confederation, and it's looking pretty good. But once you go a little bit out outside of that area, away mm. to the rest of the world, the likes of Brazil and Australia, as you mentioned, mm. then we get a, a better indication of um, where they're at at the moment. For this squad, uh, Desiree Ellis has announced the 36 woman provisional team. 36 is a big number to cut down to 23. Uh, she said it was the hardest thing she's had to do as manager of the South African national team, picking a 36. I don't know how she'll go about picking the 23. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, for my, The headline, headline from this squad is that uh, Janine Van Wyk, the most mm-hmm. cap player, is missing due to injury. Mm. Yeah, look, there's a couple of players in note, though. Thembi uh, Catalana from Racing Louisville, who's playing in the NWSL. So, you know, there's a, a bit of pedigree there and and you've got uh, Noko Matlu who is playing at Ibar in Spain. So you've got some talent and you've also got uh, Rolfo Jane who's playing at Sassuolo so in Italy. So you've got a, a little bit of spread of talent but to be fair, most of the players are playing in South Africa, right? So yeah, I don't hold out much hope for them unfortunately. Hopefully, you know, I'm sure that they'll uh, acquit their nation pretty well but um, tough assignment first up against Sweden in the opener. Yeah. Always difficult getting the pot one team first because mm, mm. there's nowhere to hide. And then and if you do cop yeah. a little bit of a score, then 
it can put you right on the back foot for the rest of the group. Mm. And then they have to face Argentina and then Italy on last match day. So, yeah, I mean, we'll go through the uh, the match days one by one and see how we think the, the group will play out. But, yeah, um, unfortunately, I think uh, South Africa, um, you know, uh, I don't see them progressing out of the group, though, to be fair. No, it is a bit of a tough ask. I, I do agree with you that I don't think we'll be seeing them in the knockouts. But you never know. You never know. We're um, not expecting this to go by the book and the top two ranked teams will go through in every group. Definitely not. Mm. Maybe South Africa can spring a surprise, but they'll just be looking to win a game because they lost all three in the last World Cup yeah. against Spain, Germany, and China. Which is, again, another tough group that they had, right? I mean, Very when tough. you think about it, Spain, Germany, mm. two European powerhouses, and, and China, uh, China who are well. quality side, you know, so... Yeah, very tough group, but um, hopefully they, uh, like I said, we've got no doubt that they'll do the best that they can and they'll equip themselves as well as they can, but even this group is quite tough for them, to be fair. I mean, you're looking at Italy, who will cover off next, right? And uh, the Lazura, you know, ranked 16 in the world, you know, making a bit of a comeback after a, a few years in the international wilderness, relatively as far as Italy is concerned, right? Two decades less. Yeah, you know, so... They've uh, they're definitely making a comeback. That's for sure. They're on their way back, and you can see that with the amount of uh, players that are going across to to the uh, the Italian league and the amount of investment that has taken place in the Italian league. So that they've recognised that they've um, needed to get serious about it and rather quickly. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of a profile on Italy. Currently ranked sixteenth in the world officially in twenty nineteen. They reached the quarterfinal of the World Cup, defeated by the Dutch as well as the quarterfinal back in 1991. But as you mentioned, Laz, um, it's going to be a bit of a gap. Well, there was a bit of a gap between their last two World Cup appearances. Uh, women's Euros, uh, they went out in the groups in the last tournament. Yeah. They looked... got one draw and lost both games in a group with France, Belgium, and Iceland. Mm. Not pretty viewing. No, look, you know, and in the lead-up to that, they had a one-all draw with Spain, right? So you would have thought they would have filled them in good stead, although we knew that Spain was probably pretty much on the verge of uh, trouble there, and that's where the troubles, uh, the much publicised troubles of the Spanish side, seem to kick off. But look, they started the Euro very poorly, five-one against France. I mean, and France are obviously, you know, one of the the stronger favourites in any tournament, let alone a Euro. Or you know, they're a favourite for the World Cup, let alone a Euro. So yeah, having gone down to uh, Belgium in the last game, and like you mentioned before, Nathan, a one-all draw to Iceland. But looking at their recent form as well, you not know, good, not great, not great. You know, um, having a two-one loss to England, a two-one loss to Belgium in the last uh, within the last four games. Although they did um, turn that around recently with a, a win against a South Korea, win. yeah, and another two-one win against Colombia in Rome in uh, in April. So you know they've got a, a friendly match against Morocco lined up, which obviously you know is, is as we know Morocco and the men's are quite strong, but you know uh, you know having a North African team stylistically might. Um, uh, might prepare them well enough for the tournament. Yeah, and we'll come on to Morocco, Morocco mm. a little bit later on. Yeah. Laz, so, looking at these sort of records the last four years or so, they blitz qualifying, mm. nine wins and just the one defeat. Mm. They only conceded one goal in all of those games. And these recent results, only one nil loss to Brazil, a one nil loss to Austria. The loss itself isn't great, but it's still defensively solid. Is this a team that you see it as ready to spring a surprise in the case that They'll emulate the men's team, what we saw, say, at the Euros, where they're defensively rock solid yeah. and able to build from there. Yeah, look, the critical one the critical one is the opening game for them, really, against Argentina, right? Because I think the winner of that essentially 
will be the winner, you know, or will be the second qualifying team from this group. So, I mean, it could end up in a draw. That's true too, right? But I, I fear that, well, it's not a fear, but I think that the winner of this of this uh, opening fixture will end up in second place and uh, have to face the might of the USA, more than likely, in the uh, round of 16. And they'll be going home off the back of that. Whoever faces the USA in the round of 16 will be going home. Yes. It, it's that simple. <laughs> You know, even if it's Sweden, even if it's Sweden, it, it, it's that simple. Whoever faces the USA in the round of sixteen will be going home, and that's the first bold call that we can make because I think we can make that with a lot of surety. There, <laughs> yes, it's like a grim reaper waiting outside your door, isn't it? That's yeah, one way. You open that's the door from second place. That's one uh, way of looking at it, and and you meet your fate, unfortunately. Mm. But look, I would say that the the Italian's key player is uh, Cristiano Girelli. From uh, Juve, and one to watch is Ariana Caruso from uh, Juve as well. You're reading off my notes here, aren't you? I don't have your notes. <laughs> I have my own notes. I prepared myself. <laughs> Cristiano Girelli has to be the key player. I agree. Has to be. All-time leading goal scorer. Mm. Yeah, no, no. I, agree, I totally agree with you there. And yeah, it's just a case of whether they can get some goal scoring going. I think they'll be solid enough at the back to uh, maybe pick up a clean sheet or two. It's just a case of whether they can get the ball in the back of the net often enough mm. to pick up points. Yeah, look, you, I'm surprised that they don't have more Juventus players playing in the Italian squad, though, to be fair. I, I would have thought that uh, the, the Italian side would be heavily heavily dominated by Juventus players. But, I mean, there's a good mix there with Inter Milan and Milan and Fiorentina and Sassuolo and, and Juventus. But, um, yeah. And, look, it's interesting to note that because the Roma women's side is has won the cup for the last two to three seasons, I believe, in a row. Um, and, you know, there's only one Roma player that I can see in the in the provisional side, so which is quite interesting. So I don't know if there's an issue there uh, with the Roma women's players. Yeah, maybe something will come out in the wash. Um, particularly, I think, if it goes a little bit pear-shaped for Italy, then all the knives will be out. Yeah, we'll get to who we uh, think will win this battle of... Uh, Italy and Argentina in a minute because we'll get to the game by game very soon. But yeah, look, given that their their football pedigree, right, and I think that Italy has been stronger traditionally more so than Argentina. I think Italy will, will pretty much be favourites to go through in second place. I think, but hey, this World Cup will definitely throw a lot of surprises given the number of entrants, right? So yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is the best format. Eight I agree. Of four. I agree. You're not going to get an argument out of me. <laughs> We've had it before. <laughs> We've had it before. And look, and we're not bringing it back up. No, we're not. <laughs> Definitely not. Laz, let's move on to uh, the Albi Celeste, Argentina. Yes. yes. 28th in the world, qualified to this tournament by finishing third at the 22 Copa America Femininia. Mm-hmm. Uh, three well said. Paraguay. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you've been practicing your Spanish, which is fantastic. That I have. That I have. Um. They won the tournament back in 2006, and mm-hmm. they're a bit of a powerhouse in South America, as is the men's team. They've never not made the semifinals of that tournament, mm. uh, but they are outsiders to get out of the group here. They are massive outsiders to go deep in the tournament, and really, it's a case of keeping the goals out of their own net because it has been uh, quite difficult for them in tournaments gone by. I picked up a stat here. Across their previous World Cup games, they've conceded an average of 4.1 goals. Yeah, that's not surprising. That's not surprising. But... Look, they can only get better from here, right? So they you they, hope. they seem yeah, that's right. They seem to be more so flat track bullies, though, in a way. And what I mean by that is that they seem to be very strong in their own region in Commonwealth. But as far as playing against the likes of Canada and and Poland, who they've played in recent times, and Spain and Spain, you know, mm. it's 
Yeah, and they've struggled, and they struggled against the, uh, uh, the 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 New Zealanders as well, right? So it's it doesn't bode well for them from what I can see. But it's not to say if they get them if they get the result against the Italians in the opening game, well, it just opens up the rest of the group for them. As far as then they only have South Africa to play, and that's it. And based on what you can see here and their ranking by rights, they should knock over the South Africans. They'll be looking to do that, and. You mentioned flat track bullies and you quantified the statement. It's essentially the same position that South Africa are in. Sure, yeah, perhaps yeah. a slightly different level, but a, a big force in their own confederation. But mm. one, when it comes to taking on teams outside of that, particularly the European powerhouses and the North American ones, then it does sort of give some indication of where they are at the moment. For mine, the key player is a goalkeeper, Vinny Correa, mm-hmm. a 39-year-old veteran. And given the previous stat I mentioned about the goals conceded, she has to have a fantastic tournament for them to get out of the group. You wouldn't say Stefania Banini is their key player, their midfielder? I went, I went, I went for the direction of the goalkeeper. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, you know, Banini's been around for a while, 32-year-old experienced veteran player at Atletico Madrid, um, you know, highly regarded. So, But I would actually say that the one to watch is uh, Yamila Rodriguez, who plays at Palmeiras in Brazil, and um, her goal-scoring capability. And don't they need it? They will, especially if they're conceding at the back. Let's go to the game-by-game game for this group, G, Nathan. So where should we go? Match day one, obviously. And match day one consists of Sweden, South Africa. How do you think that's going to go, Nathan? I think a win for the Swedes. Prepared to call a score? Yeah, I'll go 3-1. I'll go 3-0 for Sweden. I'll, I might go South Africa to get on the board first and cause a little bit of a stir. Mm, bit of uncertainty there. I like that. But I then like that. Sweden, their quality come through at the end. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Italy versus Argentina, conversely. Low scoring. It has to be low scoring. Italy, rock solid at the back, not super free-flowing in their style. I think I'll pick a result here that uh, both sides will be relatively happy with. I might go for a 1-0 to the, to the Italians. Ooh, okay. okay. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think Italy will just shade it. I think it might be 2-1. But yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me if this game was a draw. And and that's how tight I think that the gap will be between Italy and Argentina with regards to that second place in the group. So Match day two, mm. Argentina against South Africa. Thoughts? Oh, geez. I want to say that Argentina win. And I think Argentina win 1-0. Interesting. I'm going to go for a two-all draw. Mm. Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. And Sweden against Italy. Yeah. In Wellington. So, and we should mention that this group is being being played in New Zealand, this group. So, yeah, Sweden versus Italy. I'm going to say Sweden 2-0. I'm being yep, a bit conservative. Well. Yeah, I'm being a bit conservative with my scores. Uh, there will be blowouts, right? But Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know exactly how big the blowouts will be in this group, to be fair. But I think, you know, I think that all, all nations will, um, you know, acquit themselves pretty well. And, yeah, I mean, there's eight debutants at this tournament. Mm, there's going right. to be some big scores. Yeah, like if we don't get something over six nil, I'll be very surprised. But I'm yeah. not going to come on here and say that a team's going to lose ten nil. Correct, correct. Oh, although that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Espe- it's, espe- definitely, like, it's definitely possible, especially in Group E. Mm. But um, yeah. So should we go to match day three, Nathan? Let's do it. Okay. So actually, just at the end of match day two, how do we have it? We so should just I've do a, got... re- a recap just quickly before. Yeah. We... Yeah. I've got Sweden on six, Italy mm. on three, mm. and Argentina, South Africa, both on one. Yeah. Whilst I have Sweden on six, Italy on three, and Argentina on three, with South Africa on zero. Okay. So going into the last uh, match day, Argentina versus Sweden. 3-1 Sweden. I'm inclined to agree with you there. I'll go 3-1 Sweden as well. So that means that both of us have Sweden on nine points. Mm-hmm. 
and pretty much agreeing, pretty much agreeing with Olaf Lund there. Yep. And then we have we can take some souls in that. That's right. <laughs> Italy versus South Africa. I got a one-all draw. Uh, so I have Italy winning two-nil, maybe two-one, but like you know, but I think Italy just uh, win this one. So that would make your group finish how exactly? Sweden on nine, Italy on four, because I think just sort of constructing the group. Sure. Italy will know as long as they don't lose to South Africa, they'll be going through. Mm-hmm. They'll be happy with a point, and I think that's why I went for a one-all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Italy on four, South Africa on two, and Argentina on one. Mm. So you have Argentina finishing last in the group. I do, I do. That's very interesting. Controversial as well, I would say. I mean, third versus so, fourth. So early, yes. so early <laughs> in the, in our preview series, in our making wave series. <laughs> Neck's on the line already. And, and your neck is on the line already. <laughs> I actually have South Africa finishing last. I think that that um, Italy will account for South Africa. And, and so I have Argent, uh, Argentina. I have Sweden on nine, uh, Italy on six, Argentina on three, and South Africa on nil poire, as you would say. Nil poire, yes. <laughs> and on the other side of this, Nathan, we'll have our Group H preview. Group H, Germany, South Korea, Colombia, and Morocco. Laz, this is looking like a tasty group and looking forward to what we can see from the African side in Morocco being their first appearance at a Women's World Cup. Yeah, appearance number one for Morocco. Uh, but you've got an interesting group here. You've Germany, who this is their ninth appearance in, in the Women's World Cup. Two-time champions, of course, in 2003 and two, 2007. Eight-time European champions. So... And their last major success was the 2016 Rio Olympics winning the gold medal there. So there is a lot of pedigree there, but this current version of the German side uh, didn't uh, didn't fare too badly in the last Euros, but uh, obviously they fell short. They did. They got all, all the way to the final and England got the winner in extra time and just falling short. But this Germany team, for mine, Laz, I'm, I'm going to go early here. They're my tip. To take the whole thing out. Wow. Okay, that's an. Mm. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting you to to uh, make that bold prediction there, <laughs> Nathan. So early in our. Pre- I have gone pre- early. You have. The the favourites, of course, are America and England. Yes, but I, uh, I don't know about England. I know we'll get back to it, but I think England have got too many injuries for mine. Yeah, and the yeah. US have a few of their own. Yes, they're still a great team and they've got so much depth, but I think meeting the US in the final will be this German team. Yeah, look, and, and your point earlier about the group being an interesting one, it, it is because Morocco, obviously, I mean, Africa, an emerging continent as far as the women's game is concerned, Morocco finishing second to the South Africans in the African Cup of Nations last year. And you've you've also got Colombia, who are the second place side in Commonwealth. Right, so it's just a fascinating group, and South Korea. I mean, who were second place in that in Asia, right? So it's just this group on paper might seem like it's pretty pretty much done and dusted, right? But I think uh, this group could throw up a couple of surprise results. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to see how this will play out, and we shall start going through team by team, Les. Yeah, let's do it. Should we start with the favourites? Let's do it. Let's start with Germany. As you mentioned, last two-time world champions, eight-time European champions, uh, finalist in the last Euros in 2022, and uh, they're here and they're ready to party, I think. Uh, having a look at their base, they're based on the Central Coast. Yes. And I had a little geese at their accommodation. They're at uh, the Coinda Waters Golf Club, which is a brand-new facility. It's looking absolutely fantastic. And uh, you can have a look at some of the other teams where they're staying 
and it yeah. doesn't compare to uh, this wonderful facility they've got up on the Central Coast. Well, that's the second side that's uh, based, basing themselves on New South Wales' uh, Central Coast, aren't they? Yeah, along, alongside it, England, yeah. England, the Lionesses are going to be based out of the Central Coast, so interesting. Very and if you're based up on the up on the coast around Gosford area, then they'll be training at the Central Coast Regional Sporting and Recreation Complex. A chance for a bit of a photo op if you're if you're in that uh, neck of the woods. As, as long and as the place stays open. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've given it away, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All this information is publicly available anyhow. Yeah, it is. And it's a bit strange, I think, that they're putting out hotels and that. And it does uh, leave the door open a little bit for some uh, swamping from the masses. Yes. Uh, it's all part and parcel of it, I think. Yeah, because that's true. people would find out anyway if they were desperate for a photo or an autograph or something. Yeah, that's right. And look, I think I think that um, they, they, they want the players to connect with the community as much as they can, right? You know, it, the excitement of the World Cup should not only be felt uh, by the players, but also by the supporters who are coming a long way to support them or, you know, um, and you know, even the local supporters showing their appreciation for the, the talents and the teams that we're hosting. So it'll be good to see that kind of interaction happen at uh, whatever level possible. Yeah, absolutely. And manager Martina Vostekenberg has named a 28-woman preliminary squad uh, to be cut down to 23, of course. But interestingly, Laz, from the Euro side that went almost all the way, there's only three names that have dropped out. Mm-hmm. No uh, big injuries to concern themselves with, mm-hmm. and the return of Melanie Leopold, who's back in from uh, her pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, this German side is just so powerful. I mean, you saw them in the last Euros, and yes, there was an issue with uh, Alexandra Pop, who, who missed the final last year. But um, if you have a look at their side that they've announced, they may as well have just brought Wolfsburg. Yeah, 10 players. <laughs> <laughs> 10 you know. players from the Champions League finalists yeah, are incredible. in the German team. Incredible, incredible strength. Look, um, there's just players all over the park here that you can look at, like Heinrich from, you know, their defender. You know, Lena Orbedorf, I think, is the one to watch, the yeah, midfielder. She's my key player. Yeah. Well, oh, there you go. See, I was going to say Alexandra Pop. I mean, obviously, because she's the skipper as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, also Svenja Huth as well, her um, forward partner at Wolfsburg, is a, is a really talented player. They've just got strength and depth all over the park. Uh, with teammate of uh, Sam Kerr and uh, Melanie Loopholes in midfield there at Chelsea, <sighs> just in, you know, and the amount of experience and caps here, it's, it's just insane. So they're, they're a look. You're right, Nathan. They're definitely probably in the top four. I think. I don't know if they'll be a finalist, but um, definitely a top four contender for sure. Would have been good to get a uh, German football experts input on that. We were hoping to get one on, but uh, hopefully they'll come on at a later date. But yeah, just to see you know where they think that uh, Germany is placed in in the lead up to this tournament. Yeah, and they've had a great qualifying campaign to get to this tournament. They blitzed the group, of course, uh, scoring an average of four point seven goals across the ten games, and it, it's just indicative of the way they play. They're aggressive. They're free scoring. They're the typical German in the press as well. Mm. It's good to see a team living up to their stereotype, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, really. Yeah. It doesn't, for mine, matter too much whether they end up winning the group or not. Of course, they will want to win the group, but looking at who they would play, be it Brazil or France, both of the both of those two teams will be an equally um, a tough challenge in the round of 16. I don't think there's one you'd rather play over the other, but look, this is a great side, and they'll be looking to go all the way. Yeah, look, looking at their recent form as well, they've only dropped three games since July of last year. Right, One was the Euro final. One was against in a friendly against the United States, two one, and one was uh, in the last international window in April, uh, friendly against Brazil. So you know, very strong opposition. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that Brazil game, there was a lot of rotation and trying out some different players and a lot of things learnt from that game. Not necessarily Germany at their absolute peak. So I don't think you can draw too much from the result of that game. But uh, it's a potentially tough quarterfinal for Germany because it looks like if things go to plan, then they'll be up against England. Yeah, and to have that as a quarterfinal would be... I mean, you're losing one of the favourites there straight away, aren't you, at that stage of the tournament? So it's just the way that the the draw works out. And looking, I mean, we can go through the individual games later on, but, you know, um, opening with uh, Morocco in Melbourne and then Germany, Colombia in Sydney and Brisbane. So, the, you know, they don't have far to travel. So the group games should be, uh, you know, yes, the, you know, South Korea and Colombia will probably pose more so a, a challenge than Morocco. Just based on the world rankings, but yeah, look, they should uh, they should handle this pretty comfortably, I think. Well, you mentioned South Korea and Colombia as their competition to take the group out. Shall we move over to one of them, Les? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Where do where do you want to go? Do you want to go to our friends in Colombia, or do let's you want to go, go to, to our, our friends in Colombia? Let's go to our friends in Colombia then. So, and uh, looking at Colombia, they uh, uh, their nickname is Las Chicas Superpoderosas. The Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, I heard. Oh, but also, they've got the Las Cafeteras, which is the coffee growers. Yeah. <laughs> that almost sounds derogatory, the coffee growers. It, it does, kind of. But I'm thankful that they're coffee growers, because where would we be without the wonderful nectar of coffee? Absolutely, absolutely. And as we were talking about before, they are a good side in South America. They made it to the final of the Copa America Femenina. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, they just missed out winning it on home soil against Brazil. That's right. But they've had a pretty good record, Laz. Yeah, look, they're uh, ranked 25th uh, at the moment with their FIFA ranking currently. So, you know, uh, well and truly deserve to be here. Third appearance at a FIFA Women's World Cup with the best result of the round of 16. And like we mentioned earlier, Copper America runners-up in the last edition of it. And we've got... Most of their players being based in in Colombia, which is understandable. But you've got a few players at Valencia, Real Sociedad Espanol, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Levante. You know, so um, the combination of Colombia, Spain, and Brazil, primarily where the Colombian squad members are based and play their football out of. And some of note, Deportivo Cali and America de Cali. So if you're a regular mm-hmm. backpack yes. listener, you would know about this. <laughs> <laughs> We have our favourites in this team. Uh, yet to be announced, the preliminary squad by head coach Nelson Abadia. But yeah, that's right. Uh, the key player, or the one to watch anyway, that I picked out is uh, the Real Madrid player that uh, you were alluding to earlier, Linda Caicedo, an 18-year-old who scored the goal to get them yeah. to this tournament, effectively, yeah. by beating Argentina in uh, an earlier round in the Copa America last year. Mm. 18 Certainly years old. one to watch. Mm. Yeah, 18 years of age and highly, highly regarded by Real Madrid at the moment. So... Yeah, it will be great to see her apply her trade here on our shores with regard to the Women's World Cup. But um, I've also got another player to watch, uh, her Madrid counterpart, but Atletico Madrid counterpart in uh, Lacey Santos, who uh, a 27-year-old striker who is uh, definitely a player of note and worth watching as well. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And generally, I think this Colombian team will be looking to uh, frustrate, perhaps, keeping it tight at the back. They didn't concede many goals at all. Uh, on their route to the final in the Copa America. Yeah, and they kept a few clean sheets. Yeah, they kept a yeah. few clean sheets there. Nathan didn't mean to come over the top here. there. You know, impressed by, uh, over the last calendar year, uh, the amount of clean sheets that they have kept, especially toward the back end of 2022. Yeah, and a good showing at the uh, Women's Revelations Cup. They always have uh, interesting names for these mini tournaments <laughs> for, for women's internationals. <laughs> yes, 
Yes. But uh, more recently, a 5-2 loss to France and a 2-1 loss to Italy is a little bit on the concerning side. Mm. But for mine, I think Colombia will be optimistic that they can get into second place here. Yeah, I fancy them to get into second place. I mean, even though um, the South Koreans provide a stern opposition, I think that um, I think that uh, Colombia will uh, just sneak ahead. I mean, that's my early prediction with regards to this group. Um, but, you know, Colombia uh, playing two games in Sydney and uh, their th- last group game will be in Perth. So, you know, qualification might be secured by them as, we, um, as we'll go through the group later on. Indeed, and training out of Marconi Stadium and staying in Liverpool, it's not much travel for the early part of the group anyway. No, that's right. So they have a big opportunity to get out of the group and into the knockouts. No, very much so. Very much so. Shall we shift over to South Korea, Laz? Yeah. Yeah, let's go visit our Asian counterparts in South Korea, who are Dangle the... Sec- ladies? Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's right. The Dangle ladies, or the Tigeresses of Asia, as their nicknames are. Coached by um, UK-born Colin Bell. Yeah, they seem to like foreign managers in South Korea on the men's and the women's side of things. Mm. And from what I can um, dig up in researching for this, it seems as though he's changed South Korean women's football quite drastically on the national team stage, uh, encouraging those to who are good enough to move overseas to uh, higher levels of, of uh, club action, most notably Lee Gil-min, mm-hmm. based in Brighton, yep. uh, who's a frontline player, might play up front, might play slightly in behind. And really... They'll be looking to get out of the group again at the Women's World Cup. The last one in France didn't go too well for them at all, mm. but looking to uh, emulate their 2015 effort yeah. by getting into the round of 16. Yeah, so that's their best result that you mentioned there, Nathan. Uh, round of 16 results in a World Cup uh, back in 2015 in Canada, and uh, this is their fourth appearance in the FIFA Women's World Cup. So, And like we said earlier, uh, current runners-up of the Asian Football Confederation. So... Ranked number seventeen, ranked seventeen, I should say rather, in the current FIFA rankings as well. So, stern opposition, I, I believe, though, will provide to the likes of Colombia and Germany. Yeah, and with Australia being my first team, of course, maybe my heritage of the Netherlands being my second choice, maybe Korea could be my third string team because they're based down here at Campbelltown. That's right. They're your local team, Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> they're the local team, and they'll be training out at uh, Campbelltown Sports Stadium. Yeah, the Mia. Which is, you know, great facility for them to train at. I think. Yeah, provided the uh, the pitch is not a cow paddock. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll as be. It ha- look, I'm sure it'll be looked as after it has now. been in the past. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be looked after now, though. Yeah, also a pun on the balls, you know. But yes, uh... I know. <laughs> well, hey, I didn't want to bring up the, you know, the MacArthur Bulls, but if you want to, you know, if you if you want to go down that track, feel free. The form lads since qualifying. They had three matches at the Arnold Clark Cup where they lost all three of them to Belgium, Italy, and England. A 4 loss to England. It's uh, not too pleasant viewing. And uh, they had a, a two-match series against Zambia, and they won those quite comfortably, 5-0 and 5-2. Uh, but they'll be looking to uh, get out of the group. Very finely poised with Colombia, I think. Yeah, look, it, no doubt it's between themselves and Colombia to get out in second place here. Um, yeah, look, their form over the last year hasn't been all that great. Recent, you know, Yes, they've played you know a series against Zambia where they scored you know a total of ten goals in those two games and only conceded two. But you know when you look at the likes of uh, playing, having played against England, Belgium, and Italy, and and going down, you know one all draw against uh, New Zealand um, in November of last year, and and then a one nil win against New Zealand. Yeah, it's a bit patchy, isn't it? Yeah, so I think I might join you in putting Colombia through to the knockout phase, but we'll come to that when we go game by game. Mm. 
look, I think the draw doesn't do them any favours either, right? Because they're um, travelling Sydney, Adelaide, and Brisbane. So it's, yes, it's not a great distance, but still they're uh, definitely on the move. Whilst Columbia have the fortune of spending two, you know, their first two um, group games in Sydney. Tommy Ball bias, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about Tinfoil that. Tinfoil hats are out already. Yeah, and very early on in the piece too, Nathan. Very oh, early I'm on joking. in the piece. Tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. Of course, of course. No, FIFA Let's have a look th- at Morocco. FIFA wouldn't do things like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> but we didn't mention our players to watch, um, Nathan. Ah. So who who have you got as your key player and your player to watch for uh, South uh, Korea? I've got Lee Min, mm-hmm. uh, the Brighton forward, who uh, may play in behind the two strikers. Jung Sobit and perhaps Park Yun Sung. Yep. Uh, and really looking at the chances on the break. They like to play the back three with wing backs. And really, it'll be up to those players to uh, generate some good moments for the Koreans here in Australia. What about their two most experienced players, Ji So Yun at uh, Suwon and uh, Cho Su Hyun at uh, Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, look, they're, they're, you know, both got uh, in excess of 140 caps. So there's a lot of experience there. But I think their player to watch is actually uh, Jang Si Gai, uh, who plays out of Incheon Hyundai and has 89 caps or uh, approaching the 90 cap mark, I should say, as we record. So she's yeah, definitely a player to watch uh, you know, in the centre of defence there. Yeah, lots of experience in this team and they're going to need it. Shall we move across to North Africa? Let's do it. To the streets of Rabat, Casablanca and whatever other uh, cities that Peter Drury normally puts in his Morocco calls. <laughs> He loves it, doesn't he? Yeah, he loves it. He loves it indeed. Morocco, their first appearance at a Women's World Cup. The Atlas Lionesses ranked 72nd in the world. But interestingly, lads, at the WAFCON last year, they reached the final only to lose to South Africa. And they're rank outsiders to get out of this group. But I think the most interesting thing about them is their manager, Ronald Pedro. Yes, the French manager who did wonderful things at, at Olympic Lyonnais, mm-hmm. two-time league winner and two Champions Leagues as well. I'm glad you mentioned him. Mm. And really, he needs to conjure up something special. Yeah, he will need to conjure up something special if Morocco are to qualify and get out of this group because, oh, look, most of their experience is in North Africa itself. So, I mean, the, the squad itself is spread out between Morocco, Spain, France, and a bit of Belgium, really. but. There doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of experience with regard to this side as compared to the other three teams in this in this group, which I think is going to be their undoing, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, it is a young side. And I think perhaps there's a view to the next Women's World Cup and this one's a bit of a learning curve for them and try and build on something if they can get some results going, perhaps. Even if they pick up a point or two in the group, they that's absolutely something they can build on and take to uh, the next tournament. Do you have a player to watch, Laz? Yeah, I do. I've actually got two. Uh, Rosella Ayani from uh, Tottenham Hotspur, who's the 27-year-old forward there, and also Imana Saud, who applies uh, her trade in Switzerland, um, and is only 21 years old and uh, quite a talent. How about yourself? So I've got Ghislaine Chabak, who's the captain of the side, who was the best player at the WAFCON tournament last year, uh, scored the uh, scored some important goals on the way to that final, and as well, Fatima Taganaut, who's the best player from uh, the... Uh, African Champions League from last season, so there's a, there's a, there are some goals in this team, but we'll get a we'll get a good gauge on where the African Women's Champions League is in terms of their counterparts from other confederations, because um, as you say, there's a lot of experience within that competition, but not much outside of Africa. So we'll, we'll definitely get a good indication where they sit. And they're definitely travelling from east to west in their campaign. So starting off in Melbourne, 
against Germany and uh, playing South Korea in Adelaide and Colombia in Perth. Yeah, so they'll be in the sky a fair bit. Maybe that'll come back to uh, to, to their detriment at some point in the group. The mm. recent results in 2023, not really anything too uh, spectacular. They had good wins against Slovakia and Bosnia-Herzegovina, but then losing to Czechia and Romania, two teams that are not at this tournament. And that's the thing that concerns me. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they've gone and played you know, European opposition because, you know, Colombia and, and Germany will be, uh, will provide tough opponents. But, and, you know, with obviously a few players in Colombia playing in Europe, so... Um, they've got a friendly against Italy coming up very soon, so and Switzerland. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare in those competitions. So in the first week of July, they've got um, those two nations as opponents, and then they are supposed to be playing the week before the World Cup happens uh, against Jamaica somewhere, yet to be confirmed. So they've got a busy program. That they do. So good to get some warm-up friendlies in. So look, they're a young side. They are on the up. Mm. given their pedigree in the women's game. But it's a, it's a bit similar to the men's team that we saw in Qatar. They're a side that is relatively unfancy, but maybe they can spring a surprise or two. And yes, as I say, their biggest asset, I think, on paper at least, is their manager. I agree. And as I say, they'll be looking to build um, on their final final placing in the uh, the WAFCON last year, as well as a potential good showing at this tournament for tournaments to come. All right. So should we go game by game, Nathan? Let's do it. Okay, so we'll start off with match day one. So Germany versus Morocco. How do you see that one playing out? I think this will be a heavy win for the Germans. Mm. I'm going to say 4-0. Tough baptism of fire for the Moroccans, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think that Germany will win that one 5-0. And Colombia, South Korea, Les? This is the game of the group for mine now. And it happens match day one. And basically, mm. look... Uh, Whoever wins this, if there is a team that is victorious, will go through in second place, I think. And I'm inclined to think that uh, Colombia will, will go through. So Colombia should, by that reckoning, account for South Korea. And uh, I'm going to go with a 2-1 scoreline. How about yourself, I'm going, for a, I'm going for a nil-nil. You're going for a nil-nil. I'm going for a nil-nil. We don't like picking nil-nils, but I'm going to tip one. Yeah, you like a bit of intrigue in these groups, don't you? <laughs> I do. I don't want to blow it this, out on match day one, you know. But if is, Germany and Colombia win, for instance, then the group's pretty much over. This is the second group review that we've done, and you've decided to go with match day one draws. Yep. <laughs> just, to, just to make it very interesting, which is great. Which is great. Look, the thought behind it is, particularly with this game, Colombia-South Korea, that, as you mentioned, a loser is probably going to go home. So I think it'd be a tight affair. Neither team wants to lose it. Take the draw and then see what comes for the rest of the group. Yeah, but... I find it I find it difficult that a team would have to rely on getting a result against Germany for for instance to go through. Now if you do take a point off Germany, then you're, you know, you're more than likely going to go through. Just don't see Germany dropping any points as we go through this now, right? Um <laughs> so um, you know, match day two, Germany versus Colombia in Sydney. Two 0 See, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think Germany will will just outclass Colombia. Yeah, two 0 So then you have South Korea and Morocco. One all for mine. In Adelaide. One all. Oh, geez. I'm going to go Morocco. I'm going to go a South Korea win. Okay. All I'm, right. I'm going to go two one. So how does that place your group after the first two match days? So Germany will be on six points. Colombia will be on three points, and South Korea will be on three points with Morocco on nil point. Very interesting. And I'd have Germany on six, South Korea on two. Colombia and Morocco on one point each, heading into match day three, where we do have South Korea against Germany. Laz, 
Germany 2 0. I've got it down as 3 0. Mm. Can't disagree that, with you. And that'll be in Brisbane. And Morocco against Colombia. Yes, over in Perth. So mm. that that'll be uh, an interesting an interesting game. Oh, I just can't see Colombia losing to Morocco. I can't. So I'm going to go Colombia winning two 0 I've got a one or draw. You're very hopeful of Morocco actually <laughs> causing a bit of a stir in this group. And look, it, it, but Nathan, like we said, it's you know more than likely possible, right? I just. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that faith. Mm. If I've got that much faith to go, yes, look, they're going to take a point. But I'm going to go with Germany nine points, Colombia six, South Korea on three, and Morocco on nil points. And I've got Germany going through on nine and a big goal difference. And then I've got Colombia, South Korea, Morocco all on two points apiece, and are coming down to goal difference. You got too much time on your hands to think about these <laughs> to conjure up these situations. <laughs> <laughs> So it essentially comes down to who can keep the goals out against Germany. Mm. And based on the scores I've mentioned, I'm, I'm putting Colombia through. Okay, so we've both got Germany and Colombia going through. At the end of the day, we've got the same at, outcome. At the end of the day. <laughs> so that brings an end to this episode of Making Waves and the Backpeg special on preview series on the Women's World Cup, where we've just covered off groups G and H. And on the next episode... We will be covering off the chances of the teams playing in groups ENF and yeah. a particular favourite, heavyweight favourite, lies in one of those groups, Nathan. Yes, the Americans, they're in action in Group E alongside the Dutch, the Portuguese and the Vietnamese and Group F as well, France, Brazil, Jamaica and Panama. Very interesting how those are going to shape up. But we'll get to those in the next episode of Making Waves. Lads, thank you very much for uh, making this a great show and... Uh, We'll speak to you soon on on the next episode of Making Waves. Thanks again, Nathan, and thanks to all the listeners. And you make it a great show too, Nathan, and our listeners will make it a great show as well. So uh, take care all.